Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. Seniors, have you submitted your early applications? And maybe you're now considering adding or subtracting colleges from your list. Uh, Listen in on segment two for our office hours. Um, I'll be talking with my colleague, Karen Spencer. She's a veteran here at College Coach, formerly worked at Georgetown and Franklin and Marshall, and has been helping students figure these things out for quite a while now. For my third segment, I'll be interviewing Lauren Randall, another colleague, also formerly of Georgetown. I promise you this is just a coincidence. It's not, wasn't intentional. Um, But about her experience with internships, she did a lot of internships in the political sphere and then ended up working in education. Um, So I think this is going to be a really interesting peek into the value of internships and how they can still be valuable even when they're not directly related to what you end up doing. But first, I'll be talking with Beth Feinberg-Keenan, one of our college finance experts, about how having multiple children affects your eligibility for financial aid. Welcome, Beth. Thanks, Sally, for having me today. I'm so glad you're on to talk about this because honestly, I've heard an explanation from the finance team and I'm still a little confused by it. So I think I think it'll be good. I imagine if I'm confused, other people are pretty confused. So, um, so let's start off. Maybe you can start off by telling me a little bit about how the financial aid formula treats having more than one child in college. So let's start off by how the financial aid formula looks at that today. So currently, if you have more than one child in college, whether you have multiples, so twins or triplets, um, or you just happen to have kids spaced out that they are going to have some type of overlap, the years where you have more than one child in college at the same time, your annual family contribution is divided between those children. So I think, Sally, a really good example is, is let's say that you file for financial aid. And child one is off to college, and based on the information that you provide on the applications, it comes back and says, hey, Sally, you could afford $40,000 for one year of college. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, a year or two later, you have your second child going to college, and you'll be filing for financial aid for both of the children. So what happens currently today is the family contribution split. So for your child that's currently in college, your, their family contribution or their, your expected contribution for them is going to drop to about $20,000. And for the second child, it will be $20,000. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best really way to explain it is it's going to be divided between how many children you have attending at the same time right. as today. So kind of it would work like if the expected family contribution is 40000 supposedly assuming a school doesn't gap, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> You're only paying forty thousand for one child, and then when it's two children, it's still forty thousand. Correct annually. Correct right. so annually. 20, annually. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's that's really important to understand that that's how it works today. Mm-hmm. Today, okay. Um, so, how does it work? How is it going to work? Or I heard because I heard that there are some changes happening twenty four twenty five. So this is pretty relevant with some parents who have younger students coming down the pipeline. 
It is. And it's really relevant for families as they're planning for really high school juniors and seniors too. Because some of the big changes that are happening and is really under this umbrella called FAFSA simplification. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FAFSA form that f- families are filing right now is being brought from a h- over 100 questions down to under 40 questions. The expected family contribution that everybody seems to know, like what's this EFC, is being changed to the student aid index. Uh, there's going to be some changes to the financial aid formula. Um, a larger income protection allowance for families, so more income of their more household income is going to be sheltered uh, mm-hmm. for families. Some types of untaxed income that families are currently reporting on the financial aid application are not going to be um, reported anymore because the only types of untaxed income are going to be those that they can actually obtain from the federal taxes. Mm. So you don't get child support from federal taxes. You don't get your contributions to your uh, 401ks um, from your federal taxes. So those are no longer to be re- going to be reported on the financial aid application. But Sally, this is really the big one. The big one is its treatment of having more than one child in college. Mm-hmm. That's going away. So while those questions are still going to be on the financial aid application, the FAFSA is still going to ask how many in the household, how many in college. It's not going to split it anymore. Mm-hmm. So going, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, in your previous question, I said, you know, like, Hey, you got to know that that's today mm-hmm. because in 24, 25, when you're going to have overlap, you're going to have more than one child in college. If your annual family contribution or student aid index at that time mm-hmm. is $40,000, it's going to be $40,000 for each of your children. Right. And the other thing that I want to point out too, that I hope some of our listeners maybe follow our blog post too is we wrote, we um, actually posted a blog back, I think it was December 20th on these changes, Mm -hmm. uh, FAFSA simplification. So I would encourage like our listeners to go check out our blog post and to really look at that one from December 20th and FAFSA simplification because it breaks down a lot of these changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine, especially given how it's called FAFSA simplification, I mean, boy, that sounds like a great (laughs) thing. You know, but then you got two kids. And I mean, I'm just thinking about my mother, like she had overlap with me and my brother. And then she had overlap with me and my younger sister. And so having to, you know, like come up with all that extra money. I mean, it seems like the only option is for a lot of families is going to be loans then. Right. That's going to be the expectation. I mean, what's kind of the concept behind it? So, I mean, that's a great question. And as I say, I have my head spinning. I mean. Sally, I'm, I'm 13 months younger than my sister, mm-hmm. uh, so we had overlap, and I've been baking on this for years. I have mm-hmm. twins. <laughs> right, <laughs> I've been right. baking on this for years of having overlap between my girls. I don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I, I guess if there's larger shortfalls, yes, it's going to be loans. It mm-hmm. might also be decisions in where students can go to college that, you know, maybe they can't afford certain schools that they could have in the past. hmm we don't know what schools are going to be doing either. So mm-hmm. it's very important to ask colleges questions. Um, the, earlier you mentioned like, hey, this is really for younger kids. But no, families who have juniors and seniors right now, if you're making decisions in where your student can go to college and you know that you're going to have, maybe you have overlap now and they're going to benefit from having a sibling in college, or maybe you were saying, thinking like, hey, in the future, we're going to have a sibling in college. You need to ask those questions. You need to ask the financial aid office of like, do you have a game plan? Mm -hmm. Um, And if they don't have a game plan, then, hey, you know what? Plan for the worst. Mm -hmm. And think about it. Can you afford 
you know, can you afford that institution? Can you afford that institution based on what you're paying currently today, you know, for the four years? Or if you have a really good financial aid package because you have a sibling, you know, they have a sibling in college, what happens if they lose it? Are you mm-hmm. going to be able to, are you going to be able to afford that additional uh, shortfall that you're going to have to come up with? Right. Right. So this, this, yeah. So this can be pretty complicated for families. This can, and that's why it's so important that we're talking about this today, because I don't think that there's enough information out there about what's happening. And I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know if families are thinking about this. And I know that in my phone calls with families, if this is something that I bring up, especially if the air is going to be overlap, mm-hmm. I want them to be asking these questions. And this is something that I'm mentioning if families have juniors, if families have seniors in high school, because I don't want them to plan for best case scenario. I want them to plan for worst case scenario. And I want them to think about like, what does this investment mean to my family? And how might this impact my ability to pay for other children if this is the first one going to college or maybe the second one going to college? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think families might be concerned. I mean, basically, if they have more than one in college, when this change happens, they're concerned that they're going to be losing aid, right? They are. They are. And they could be asking if colleges are grandfathering in students. So if a student mm-hmm. has a sibling um, in college and they are going to have a sibling in college in 24, 25, are they grandfathered in? And maybe the college is going to be making these changes with their own institutional financial assistance a little bit later on mm-hmm. uh, and really impacting, you know, those new applicants coming uh, mm-hmm. in 24, 25. But colleges haven't really been sharing like what they're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. All of us as, you know, all of us on the finance team, you know, that's something that we all have our ears, you know, out there of like, what are colleges going to be doing? What are we hearing? And we haven't been hearing a whole heck of a lot right now. They're probably still trying to figure it out. You know, like, they're like, what are we going to do about this? Cause I mean, there are schools, you kind of referenced this before there are schools just because we know what the federal government is doing, we don't know what the colleges are going to do. And there's also schools that require the college scholarship service profile, the CSS profile. So that is another layer of complexity. Um, are they still going to consider the overlap? Again, Sally, an unknown, <laughs> an unknown. It's, there's so many unknowns in this, in this area that we don't know. We don't know if the college board is going to still split, you know, not equally because the college board currently doesn't split it equally, but are they still going to split that family contribution between multiple children? Mm-hmm. Um, or are they going to follow suit of the federal government? And with the FAFSA simplification, we also feel that we think that more colleges might be looking to bring on the CSS profile mm-hmm. or maybe their own institutional application to use to award specifically their own institutional dollars. Mm -hmm. Like I know like families, like the Pell Grant and state aid, um, work study, like all of those things are going to use the federal, like the colleges are going to use the federal formula for that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like their institutional need-based dollars, they really can do whatever they want. You know, it's their institutional money. But if colleges are turning to look at having either their own application or the CSS profile, this FAFSA simplification might not be simple for many families mm-hmm. because the profile is a lot more questions, a lot more in depth. And families already say like the FAFSA is, you know, takes a long time and can be difficult, you know, to understand. 
I don't know what that's going to mean for families that, you know, who, who have to now, you know, say, Hey, sure. The fast is super simple, but now I have to like worry about the CSS profile if colleges are you know, asking me to complete that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty sympathetic to families. I mean, if, if you have a single child or if your children are 10 years apart, this is going to be great for you. Right. But like, if it's not, <laughs> if, I mean, I think most people space their kids by a couple of years, you know, so this is going to impact, I would imagine most people who have multiple children. It really is. I mean, some of the changes that is happening with factor simplification, you know, we've run some calculations and families who have single, single, I was going to say one children, you know, singletons, mm-hmm. um, Yes. I mean, they might see a little bit of a break because not, you know, not looking at untaxed income, um, looking at an increased income protection allowance, they might actually have a little bit of a break with the expected family contribution and what they're expected to pay for college. Mm -hmm. But those families who have more than one child in college, whether they're expected to pay $40,000 a year or they're expected to pay $36,000 a year because maybe they're getting a little bit of a break by two. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I don't have all of a sudden like, you know, an extra like bank account, you know, sitting there saying I have so much more money because I have, you know, two in college at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think about this and, you know, I, I'm happy because my girls are a little bit younger and, mm-hmm. you know, they ha- they're only in first grade. So we have some time to kind of see like how this is going to play out and what colleges are going to do. Mm-hmm. But it's something that kind of just sticks in like my gut of like, oh my gosh, like, how are we going to do this? You know, you know, we're planning for them, but we're we planning to have twice as much money. Not right. <laughs> Can't you just plan for that? I mean, you know, like just plan for it. <laughs> Let me just pay $80,000 a year. Of course. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So a lot to think about, but I'm sure you'll come back on as soon as you guys know anything. Right. So, and Definitely. write a blog post. I think your point was really good. Like, I do want to recommend that everybody go to the blog post because I think sometimes it's easier, like, you know, it's fun to listen to this, our podcast, you can take a walk and listen to it, but this is pretty complex. So go to the blog post is what I would say too. When, when was that again? Like, what should they look for, Beth? So we, is FAFSA simplification and the post was uh, written, I think, December. I know it was written in December. I can't remember if it was like December 20th. Of yeah, last but if year. they do a search for FAFSA simplification, FAFSA yeah. simplification, I'm sure they'll be able to find it. That search engine works pretty well. So, um, all right, great. Well, thanks so much, Beth. I don't know if you have any last things or did we kind of cover it? Yeah, we pretty much covered it. But the only thing that I want to stress for families is, is just to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're trying to make decisions, don't forget to ask those questions because I want you to be thinking about this in the forefront. Mm-hmm. And I want you to make sure that you have answers that you're comfortable with as you make those deposits in your committing for your juniors and seniors as they, as they get admitted to colleges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And so many people don't. I was recently helping out a friend of mine who is a university professor, and he did not ask all the questions he needed about finances. I was like, how did you not ask this? <laughs> You know, like you are as educated as we get. You have a PhD, you work at a university and you still didn't ask, you know, it was just. uh, uh, So, yeah, people need to not be shy and not make assumptions. And, uh, you know, so. All right. All right. Listen, Beth, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me today, Sally. All right. And uh, we're going to take a short break. But when we return, I'll be talking with Karen Spencer about how seniors 
should look at their regular decision list of colleges. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Karen. So nice to have you back on the show. Hi, Sally. Nice to be here. (laughs) All right. So we are here to talk about, this is our office hours, and we're here to talk about what should your regular decision list look like? Now, I do want to say, by the way, that for those of you who are parents of juniors and younger, ideally, they already know. This is not something that they should just be thinking about now. This is something that they should have figured out, ideally, honestly, back in August. Yeah, agreed. Before then, right? But like finalized it, I'd say August, September, Yeah. right? Um, but we all know that that's not the case. With this everybody. show is not for them. <laughs> this show is for everybody else. Exactly. This show is for the seniors who kind of barely got their their earlies done and then like collapsed with fatigue because it was such a panic stricken process. And now they're like, OK, what do we do? What do we do next? Right. 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 So what are some of your initial thoughts? Like if you're talking to someone who, you know, maybe didn't start on the process as early as is ideal. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it's never too late, but easier if you started earlier. But these people kind of started a little bit more on the late side. So what's your advice to them? Like they they got in some applications early. What do you how do you tell them to sort of frame things at this point? Sure. So I think, you know, now is the time for an honest, non-panicked 
um, clear view, right? I always say panic make you do dumb, stupid things. All right. Mm-hmm. So panic is always a terrible emotion. So let's not go in anything with panic because then we make bad decisions. Um, so let's look at an honest look. Okay. Where have you applied? And then in that context of where you've applied, I always say to every student, frankly, how many yeses do you need and how many no's can you handle? Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my tagline. I say that probably 14 times a day between August and January 1st, because I do think it's really helps define a list rather, again, whether you're the super responsible kid who, you know, is already done or the kid who's still trying to scramble, right? How many options I always say, do you need come April? Mm-hmm. And what does your current list look like? That might like, right? If you were just like, oh, I'm throwing out an ED to this pipe dream, I hope I get into, and that's all you got out there. Well, now we, now we have some work to do, right? Because right. we might have um, one no and nothing else, right? That's not a great plan. Um, and so, you know, how many options do you want come April? And how many, you know, how much, how would you deal with rejection too, right? I always say that's, you know, if, you know, if you got seven rejection letters, how would that feel? Especially if you got them in the same week, mm-hmm. right? So that dictates how many more reaches might go on the list, how many more, right? So it, it is a little bit of the conversation we have in August with students and we're just having it now, right? But we mm-hmm. also have to be realistic that believe it or not, January 1st here is in about seven weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So we're TikTok. Um, right? You can't add seven more schools that are all reachy with 20 more essays and do them well, probably in the next seven weeks. That's probably not going to happen. So think about how many safety schools do you need? Again, do you mm-hmm. have any safeties? If you don't, you need it. I, my, and I'm Sally, you may disagree with me. I always say you need two, mm-hmm. right? I want you to have at least two options. Absolutely. Um, and they may be your, be your favorite options. I always think we kind of badmouth safety schools. I went to my safety school. It's the only school I applied to. It's the school I wanted to go to. It was a good mm-hmm. choice for me, right? I think we always think like safety schools are going to be your last choice. They may be your first choice, right? So, mm-hmm. but you need two of them, regardless of how much you like them or don't like them. But mm-hmm. And two that just- you would legitimately go to. Yeah. And I would just add in if financial aid is going to be really important to you, you might need more safeties because safeties are where you have your best odds of getting merit scholarships. So think about that, too. If if aid is not a big thing, if merit aid in particular is not a necessity, then two is probably enough. Right. right? Agreed. But agreed. But if, if it's more complicated than that, then, yeah, I would say three. You know, yeah, if you're yeah, if your parents are like money, you're going where you get the most money mm-hmm. and you want options in that category, then, yeah, you might have four or five safeties on there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And I think it is important too to like what you said, like think really honestly and carefully about where you've applied already. I think that's hard sometimes for students to do just as it is at any point in the process. Like once they've applied to a school, some of them, it's um, it's very understandable. We all have different ways of coping. Some people go straight into magical thinking that they're definitely going to get in. Other people, and this is honestly more my point of view, I submit the application and then I'm like, I'm not getting in anyway, so I'm not going to worry about it. Like, you right, know, right, right. Like, so I think especially if you're applying to those super selective IVs, you know, if you've got a 5% admit rate, the safer bet, as painful as this is, and I say this to everyone, I'm, this is obviously not personal. I'm talking right. generically, the safer bet is to assume you're not getting in. Correct. Right. And so you need to proceed as if that school is not really like you did it. You you did your best job possible. And now you are like moving on and you need to have a full list. Right. And I would say it doesn't even matter if it's an Ivy, right? If this was a reach tool for you, whatever that reach is right. for you, right? If this was a real shot in the dark, 
right? Then assume that shot in the dark is not happening. I always play doomsday scenario with my students that I work Mm -hmm. with, right? I always say, let's play doomsday scenario, right? Because Mm -hmm. that might happen. I'm not saying it's gonna, but it might, right? I kind of Mm -hmm. have more of the Sally philosophy. Let's assume this all goes south, right? Right. (laughs) What 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 are your options, right? And what do you need your options to be, right? And I think that also goes into timing because I think a lot of students want to say, well, I'll just wait and see if I get in to my early schools, and then I'll decide where else I'm applying. Well, those decisions might hit your desk on the 17th of December or the 22nd of December, right? And now you're trying to, you know, enjoy some holidays and trying to frantically write essays. Mm -hmm. I promise you that application is not going to be great. Exactly. Um, So assume you're not getting in and plan accordingly, right? Mm -hmm. It's like assuming there's traffic. I have to, you're driving on Thanksgiving. You should give yourself a buffer and assume there's going to be traffic and you're not going to make it there in your designated period of time, right? Mm -hmm. So build that in um, now and start working on it now. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is too, I do agree that there's different ways of people address um, kind of different scenarios. Right. And I say like, I'm sometimes people are like me when I Christmas shop, I'm always like really methodical at the beginning of like November. I'm like one of those early shoppers. I'm like, Oh, I see something. And it's so thoughtful about whatever. And then I always, and then it gets a little lazy. Right. Cause then I'm like, Oh, I'm like, totally I'm on it. Late November, early December, I start to get a little like not thinking about it. And then about December 20th, I have like a little moment of panic. Like <laughs> I realize I've like, two of my kids have a million presents and one has nothing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then I start like throwing things in like the cart, And then, and then I get to Christmas morning. I'm like, what did I buy? This is like a hot mess. So like, don't do that. Like some people I think here start to panic. And sometimes even our students who, and I'm sure you've seen this kids who have been really methodical and are really done also start to panic, even if their list makes sense. And then they're right. like, well, I'm going to start just adding some to be safe. And I'm like, that's not, again, that's a panic stricken decision-making, which is always, poor decision-making. Exactly. And actually, yeah, I worked with a student who she was deferred from Duke and she panicked and suddenly wanted to add in more safeties. And I was like, okay, let's meet, let's take a deep breath. I have zero objection to you adding in another school if you want to, but you have, we planned for this. Right. You may not realize it, but we planned for this because we know it, that was a reach. Duke. So we planned it's that. Duke. Right. It's a reach for everybody. You're a great student. It's a reach for everybody. It does not mean that you're not getting into your mid-range and your safety right. schools. That's not what that means. So I kind of talked her down and she was like, oh, I already have safeties, don't I? And I'm like, yes. yes. Do you think I would have let you get to this point without right. safeties? No. What do you think I was nagging you about all that time? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. exactly. You know, and so she was like, okay, okay, I can relax. And I'm like, seriously, you want to throw in this other school that you're talking about? It's a great school, but I don't want you to do it out of panic. I want you to do it because upon reflection, you think it gives you some really nice options. Correct. And that that's is the key fine. thing. I think it's not the, like, if you wouldn't have applied there before, why are you mm-hmm. interested in applying there now? And maybe you have, maybe you visited it, or maybe somebody mentioned it to you and you did some research and now it does seem like a viable, like good option. Again, totally fine then, especially, mm-hmm. especially if there's no more essays. But I see that like, mm-hmm. well, there's no more essays. So I'm going to just put these four again in the cart. And like you, you had no interest in these back in August when we were methodically doing this. Mm-hmm. Why do you have interest in this now? Mm-hmm. And then this is way too big to address here, but I know a lot of people are thinking, how do I know if a school is a safety? I mean, go to our blog post, but, you know, use your schools and aviance too, yeah. right? And look for those schools where you are well above the average. Like a safety is not a school 
where most people like you get in, a safety is a school where everybody likes you, like right. you gets it. I always say a safety is where unless you confess to being a sociopath in your essay, you're right. going, right? Like unless you get D's all of a sudden or confess to being you know, right. a serial killer, you're going to get in, right? So again, right. I think Naviance is a great um, tool. A lot of, again, if you're a newer listener, I know we talk about Naviance a lot, but if you're a newer listener, most high schools use a program called Naviance where you can kind mm-hmm. of track um, how previous applicants from that high school have done at different colleges over however long they've been tracking the data. And that can be a really helpful tool. Um, mm-hmm. If you can see if you're hanging out with the admit dots and the scattergram or the deny mm-hmm. dots or the wait list. And so that is also a great way of kind of deciding how you're going to fare. And then the one last thing I want to make sure to talk about is what about early decision two? I'm so, not sure everybody knows about that. Yeah. Early decision two, and you and I were talking about this earlier, has seen great growth. Like when mm-hmm. I started doing this 700 years ago, Early decision two was like an anomaly, right? Like a handful of schools had early decision two, which is, for those of you listening, is a second round of early decision. It's almost always due in January um, is the deadline for that. Um, And so it's really meant for either students who often didn't get into their first choice early decision school or maybe just weren't ready to commit come in Mm -hmm. November or their essays weren't ready or whatever the case may be. And this is an opportunity. So same, same thing as early decision round one. It's just with a later date. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for students... If they really had two top choices, maybe they apply their first choice early decision mm-hmm. one. Let's say they don't get in. ED2, again, for whom, you know, again, finances are not a huge concern, that kind of thing, all the reasons ED makes sense in general. Um, yeah, ED2 can be a great choice. And I've seen exponential growth in schools offering ED2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. So it's worth it if there is a second choice that you have Yeah, for you sure. know, to look at it. Because I think we also, you know, it's important to be honest and know that if you applied early decision one to your top choice and you were deferred, that was your best odd of get, odds of getting in. I can't say, unfortunately, though, that it's 100%. I have seen students sometimes get in when they were deferred from early decision, but the vast majority of the time that is not going to happen and it's going to be even harder to get it. That is not the case for early action. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. Um, But for early decision, if you were deferred from your top early decision. are not in your favor for getting it. Yeah. Like it's even harder than it was the first time around. So you might get waitlisted still just more waiting and it just, right. A lot of times an ED defers because we really liked you, but we're just, we know we're not going to take you. Yeah, exactly. And it is, I actually will just quickly, I think we'll wrap it up here, but so yeah, just because we deferred you also doesn't mean we don't like you. I want to be very clear about that since we're saying we're talking about some hard truths right now. We, we still liked the people that we deferred. We just didn't have room for them or denied or, you know, right. Correct. Just did not, not have personal. Room. It is not personal. Let me repeat. This is not it is, personal. It is really not. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Karen. You're welcome. Nice to see you, Sally. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. And then, um, although actually this is airing um, in December. So happy oh, joking. Well, I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Now we're going to take a short break. And then Lauren Randall and I will be discussing her experience with internships in college. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. 
Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much, Sally. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us today. So you had... So this this is all about kind of your internships and the value of internships. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And... Um, I just think like the internships you did were particularly fascinating. And then the fact that you went into a completely different field, um, I think is also really interesting and not kind of how people usually think about what a successful pathway is, but your pathway was very successful. So, um, so let's dig into it. Like, let's start with just um, some of the internships that you did, what brought you to them. Let's start there. Sure. Um, Well, I think it's, it's hard to say what brought me to the internships without kind of starting of, of where I was my freshman year of, because internships were not necessarily my, my go-to. I joined a lot of clubs and activities and organizations on campus. So when I, when I transitioned from high school, I was, you know, the leader, the president of all these different Mm -hmm. clubs. That was really normal and natural for me. You know, I, I don't know if I'm tuning my own horn here, but I really felt I was the big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. When I arrived on campus at Georgetown University my freshman year, I was no longer a big fish. You know, <laughs> it was very clear I was a small fish in a big pond. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did what, you know, came naturally was to, to get involved. So I joined a lot of clubs and organizations. But quite honestly, I man, kind of felt mediocre. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, um, they were interesting. I was doing it to meet friends. But I didn't see the same sort of 
benefit that I did when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. It was easy for me in high school to see how those things, what I was doing in high school to really translate. Yeah, it was meaningful to me and I wanted to be involved in these things, but I also saw how it translated to my next steps, which was college. Mm-hmm. When I got to college, I had a harder time seeing how joining the ballroom dancing team, which I did, mm-hmm. um, translated to my next steps of career or grad school. Um, and for whatever reason, it just was not as fulfilling to me, the clubs and organizations um, that I joined my freshman year. And I was really involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I had friends and I you know, had a great first year experience, but um, something was kind of missing. And so, again, I kind of turned back to, well, where where could I shine, really? Where if it wasn't going to be on campus and how would these how do I see these things connecting to my next steps? And that's where I, you know, really leveraged internships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, certainly I want to preface all of this of saying that my internships were all unpaid. Um, I worked really hard in a lot of hours. That's from a place of privilege. I did not have to, you know, have spend all those hours um, at a paying job. Um, so, you know, my, that's my experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to say that there are plenty of internships that you can get that are paid. Mm-hmm. So mine were all unpaid and I put in a lot of, a lot of hours there. Um, so I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but that was kind of where, how mm-hmm. I switched from on-campus activities and organizations where I still was involved, but I turned my focus more to the professional opportunities and internships to kind of see what was out there. hmm Mm-hmm. So, so that's interesting. So you kind of knew that you needed something that might be more relevant to your, to your life after college, basically. Yeah, exactly. And again, I, I think it also had to do with my personality of, of mm-hmm. bullet, you know, again, high school, I was the big fish, Georgetown, my freshman year, I was small fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that there might be more opportunity, uh, opportunity through internships, um, to build my resume, um, quite, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it did. So my first internship, um, was with the national organization for women. Um, it was a nonprofit. It is a nonprofit. Um, it's, uh, issues and areas that I'm really passionate about that I care a lot about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got that internship through one of my classes, Mm-hmm. Um, I was in, I was taking a women's studies course, and the it was an adjunct prof- professor, um, and she had sent out a, um, opportunities for these internships. So so I applied. So again, a lot of my experiences are are from where I went to school because it was all local to to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also you know want to preface that that not every location has the same sort of opportunities because these all these internships were during the school year, not during mm-hmm. the summer breaks. Mm-hmm. So that was my first internship, and it was eye opening. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say what I learned for you know a big part of my the value for me of internships was learning what I didn't want to do with my life. <laughs> Um, and, you know, after spending a full semester during the school year of, of interning regularly, I would go to class and then get on public transportation and go to the headquarters um, and, and work really, really, really hard. Um, I was really inspired by, by what everybody was doing, but I quickly learned that the nonprofit world was probably not where I was going to end up. Mm-hmm. So that was that was great experience, even though it told me what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too, because I think a lot of students think they do know, 
what they want. And I'm like, great, but try it out. Yeah. See, you know, like if you think you want to be a lawyer, try and get an internship in a law office or just like whatever it might be. So, and what were you, um, like, what were some of the skills? Like, why do you feel like this was valuable beyond also just that you learned this wasn't something that you wanted to do? Like, how did it help you Mm -hmm. towards your next internships? Things like that. Well, well, definitely there were skills involved in terms of just the time management for, for a bit being an, a, you know, a full-time student and then transitioning to that professional world of, of you know, wearing real clothes and professional clothes, <laughs> being on public transportation, um, you know, being, even though I was an intern um, and I, I don't know that it's, if you haven't had an internship, it's hard to express, um, but the level of respect that mm-hmm. you get of working for free and working really hard. Interns are, are critical to a lot of different industries, especially mm-hmm. nonprofits is one. So I was afforded a lot of respect and that made me feel really mature. Um, and that just gave me a sense of confidence that I honestly think that I was lacking in my transition. I had it in high school and I think I, I, I lost it a bit my freshman mm-hmm. year, uh, again, being that small fish and mm-hmm. internships helped me regain that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just really important to see yourself as a young professional mm-hmm. uh, being taken seriously. So that was, that was eye opening to me and, and something that helped me in a lot of different areas of taking myself seriously because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, um, yeah, that confidence thing I think is huge. Cause I think a lot of students lose confidence in their first year. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember going to college and feeling like I was really dumb when I'd always thought I was smart, you know, and I had to kind of kind of crawl back up from that a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. which was really nice. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about your others. Like what, what happened from there? Yeah. So another part of just having internships um, of, and so again, opening up my world of what I thought I wanted to do. It also impacted my academic experience on campus because it really helped me think closely about what I wanted to study. I went mm-hmm. in I went to Georgetown, you know, totally sure I was going to be a government major. Mm -hmm. Um, And pretty quickly, I didn't really love the department or maybe I just didn't. I was like, wow, this is really male centric. And um, I don't it didn't totally fit for me. So internships helped me identify that of saying, like, what do what areas am I really interested in? And while, you know, National Organization for Women, it wasn't where I saw myself. Ultimately, I was really interested in women and government. Mm-hmm. So it impacted some of my uh, choices around the courses I took. Um, and ultimately my major, I transitioned, I, you know, thought I was going to be government, ended up American studies, which is really interdisciplinary. And I focused all of my coursework and my thesis on women in government. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, and so I started taking more classes like that. Um, and um, the next uh, internship that I had was with, um, Donna Brazil, um, who was Al Gore's campaign manager um, and a political pundit. Um, so mm-hmm. I doing. I worked for her um, as a researcher and kind of a assistant speech writer of sorts, where you know prepare her with notes when she had her speaking engagements. Um, that was that was awesome for me. First of all, um, it was a very small operation, so just getting. FaceTime with somebody that um, I respected and I, you know, 
that was pretty cool that she knows she trusted me um, with a lot of the heavy lifting of, mm-hmm. of what she was, you know, working on. Um, it was also a lot of hard work. Again, sure. all these internships, nothing was easy. I was, you know, doing all this research for schoolwork and then coming, and this is what I was going to do for fun, right? For my internship, I was, again, just a lot of research. Um, so that taught me skills of how to read quickly, effectively, how to take notes, how to synthesize points, um, and speech writing and, and speak, even though I wasn't the, the speaker of mm-hmm. what made uh, a, a strong speeches. So that was transferable skills, again, to what I, I'm not in politics, I'm not a pundit, but it certainly translates to what I do, do now in terms of how to see text. Uh, whether it's essays or whether it's, you know, newspaper articles or, uh, and, and synthesize and what are unnecessary words? How do we say this more effectively? Mm-hmm. So that was invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think also just presentation skills, like you're with this woman who's like an unbelievable heavy hitter, like walking around with other people who are very like, you know, have been leaders of our country Even though you're just an intern, there's a certain level of professionalism that's really expected. I mean, you kind of referred to that a little bit with the um, NOW organization, but Mm -hmm. I feel like this might have been even more so, or is that not accurate? Was it kind of the same? Um, It it just was so different in terms of uh, National Organization for Women was was big, right? There was was a lot of different departments and a lot of people there, um, and it was a more quite honestly chaotic. Like there was just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Donna Brazil's operation. I think there was three of us in her. In her right. Office. Okay. Uh, so that was much. Uh, you know, I certainly felt. Like, in both cases, I felt like an equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was doing work that her paid. You know, uh, researchers and speechwriter w- was helping with. Um, so yeah, that level of of respect and um, just the way I saw myself and the comments I had. You know, it, it could be really nerve wracking to to edit one of her, she was giving a graduation speech, um, at a, at a, at a college and it was really nerve wracking, um, Mm -hmm. to kind of edit that and give my, my perspective as a college student. Um, but also, you know, how cool, uh, very cool. Well, and I'll, I'll just tell you, um, Lauren, I just so everybody knows, like, just to give some background, I interviewed Lauren. I worked at College Coach longer than her, and I was one of the people who interviewed her. And as much as she had a lot of really important, relevant experience, I also saw those internships, and I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> like, even though it wasn't relevant, I knew this was such important work. So, um, and I, I was especially impressed with your next one, which, why don't you tell me about, tell us about your next internship? Yeah, so from there, um, I started interning for Hillary Clinton's Senate re-election campaign and ultimately her first presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was something, again, my academic, inter- all these areas kind of came together. I really am passionate about women in politics. Um mm-hmm where I was studying in Washington, D.C., you know, I was at the heart of things. So I had access to this again. You know, this is mm-hmm. my experience based on where I was. Um, so, I, I mean, I can't really say enough about that experience just in terms of the opportunities I had, whether it was traveling, whether it was fundraising, um, event manage, event planning, um, just every sort of level. There was just so many different departments I was able to have my hands in. Um, with that, 
And again, it became such a big part of, of my, my life that, you know, I was really at that point, junior and senior year of college was picking classes um, that really just maximized my schedule. So I could spend more time on the campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, an interesting part here is that they, they offered me paid as a college student paid positions many times, but I really saw the power of being an intern. Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't want to give up that, you know, uh, uh, you know, also the ability just to say, no, Mm -hmm. Um, no, I have to go to class. I can't be here for the next 23 hours straight, which, (laughs) you know, campaign work is grueling. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I really saw that kind of as a power position for me, even though I was only an intern um, to be able to say, you know, if I'm not going to be paid, Mm -hmm. kind of, where I'm going to spend my time. And again, that level of respect, like we need you. Thank you so much. Um, But it was, you know, that was an eye-opening experience for sure. Um, I absolutely saw myself, you know, continuing on going to law school, going into, to politics. I really thought that would be my, you know, my trajectory. Um, I guess Hillary also thought it was when she ran for president. So being so passionate about something, you know, it certainly, and it didn't, it didn't pan out. Um, mm-hmm. And so I definitely pivoted. But those experiences, again, I'm not in politics now, but it um, a lot of the skill set that I learned there is is transferable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. So you saw yourself as going forward, but then, yeah. And, and I think this is an important note here is that you were able to pivot really easily, it sounds like. It was more a matter of your figuring out what you wanted to do. Would that be accurate to say? Absolutely. Um, well, for, for one thing, you know, we, we can talk about how I got into admissions if we have time. Um, but what you were saying just a minute ago about any job I've, I've had, they look at your at your resume. And while it might not be directly related, hopefully, you know, you're crafting a resume that that you list out the skills and I can draw those connections. So I've always found that the jobs that I've applied for, I we still talk about Hillary's campaign, you know, all these years later, mm-hmm. um, because what was that experience like? What did you learn? How are those skills related? And I can draw those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I'm not I'm not downplaying the the importance of getting involved on your college campus mm-hmm. at all. But for me, pretty quickly, I was like, I'm not a great ballroom dancer. Something to try, like, I don't know how that's going to end up on my resume um, and what kind of skills I'm going to learn from that for my first job. Um, Mm -hmm. So, again, for me, it was just an easy kind of switch of, you know, your time is limited. College is demanding. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I have this extra time, where am I going to spend it that is personally meaningful, but also then maybe builds into something bigger? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually, it's interesting because I... Um, also had a lot of interest in women's issues, women in government, but I did it through uh, the college campus. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to Reed College and got very involved in um, NARAL. And we Mm -hmm. as a group did a lot of things, actually. And so, um, and I also got internships through the admission office. That's how I got involved in that. So that happened early on with me. Um, So there's multiple ways to do this. You can do it on your campus. But for other people, it really is going to make more sense to do it off campus. Um, Before we move on, 
I do want to hear about your getting into admissions. I think we will have time. But before we move on, I also want to talk about what makes a good internship, because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of information in the news about internships that are really kind of the employer, so to speak, taking advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're just stuffing envelopes, that's not an internship. You know, somebody should be paid for that. That's clerical work. The in- incumbent on internships, and I'm not saying you'll never stuff envelopes. Obviously, some you know we all do that sometimes. But um, income part of an internship is that you're learning. And you mm-hmm. talked a lot about the kind of respect that you got as an intern. It strikes me that that's important. That if you go into an internship and you're not getting that respect and you're not getting those opportunities, this isn't a good internship. This isn't probably worth your time. Yeah. And this is honestly where I struggle a little bit working with high school students um, and students or families that say, well, my high school, my 16, 17 year old, they need an internship. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? I'm like, do they, or should they just be, you know, get a part-time job or what's going to be real experience, hands-on experience. Um, Because I didn't have internships in in high school. My college internships were certainly hands-on. I was learning. Mm -hmm. Um, I was respected. I was getting real work. I did stuff a lot of envelopes. You know, you had... Yeah, no, you're going to do stuff. It just shouldn't be only that. That's all. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Or I just, you shouldn't be standing in the corner just watching. Nothing Mm -hmm. I did was watching, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I watched, but... I wasn't shadowing, basically, I guess. Right. Yeah. What I try and tell families is internships are not magic. There are great internships and there are crappy internships. And there are volunteer, you can do volunteer work that you don't don't learn much. And then you can do some where you learn a ton. So stop focusing on internship and kind of try and think about what are the skills, what kind of exposure, you know, might actually be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we only have three minutes left and I need a one minute for the kind of exit, but just yeah. can you kind of summarize real quickly how you got into admissions? Totally. So what I was um, saying in the beginning of how, you know, I, I didn't feel so connected to my, um, organizations and clubs from the beginning, but by senior year, I had some regrets. Honestly, I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I made a big enough mark on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really thought about it and there was an opportunity. Georgetown is unique. Um, that they, you could interview to um, be a student reader on the admissions committees. Mm-hmm. And I loved applying to college. I was a weirdo. I loved it. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, what better way to leave a legacy on my campus by helping shape the incoming class? Um, and the student reader at Georgetown gets an equal vote as the admissions officer. Um, so that was, I Loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved it. It was so great. Um, and so it was just a natural tra- transition for me when Hillary lost. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to the White House. I wanted to stay on my college campus. Um, and I really loved the admissions work. Um, it was, again, you know, reading students' stories. And I, I really felt that was the way for me to leave a legacy as a student reader. Um, and then that's where it was just a natural transition. Um, at, becoming an admissions officer. Yeah. I did interviews in my um, senior year. I didn't sit on a committee, but I did a lot of interviews in particular. And like you said, hearing students' stories was just absolutely one of the best things about the job. And I, and actually like the admission officers would sometimes come to me and say, so you really like this kid or, you know, and like ask me more. And it did. It felt like I was really contributing to an institution that I really liked, you know, that I cared about. 
Absolutely. And I just one last thing. I did apply to be a the only thing I ever wanted to do on campus, really, honestly, was to be a, a student tour guide, college tour. Mm-hmm. I was rejected every single time. I oh, my applied. God. <laughs> maybe, I can't. Maybe. That I can't imagine internship. So I never got to be a tour guide, but I was an admissions reader. <laughs> I can't imagine that. It must be super competitive at Georgetown because I definitely would have hired you because I used to hire tour guides at Reed and at Whittier. So, <laughs> Thanks, um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. That was great. All right. Thanks so much also to Beth and Karen. And we have some great shows coming up that I want to tell you about. Next week's will be a repeat, but on December 9th, Beth Heaton, the regular host, and Shannon Vasconcelos will be answering listener questions and talking what with a new colleague about what she saw reading applications during the pandemic. So she still worked in admissions back then. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. Also, if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. Um, We have some pretty great shows in the archives, including our October 14th show, when we discussed why we hated the famous Costco essay, (laughs) aka the dangers of reading sample essays when you're working on your application. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.